And kids, you can come on up before you're dismissed. I told you, we're going to mix things up this morning, and I'm going to need your help to tell a story. So I need you kids right here in front of me, right here in front of me. And oh, yeah, yeah, ham it up there, ham it up. I need you guys to sit down and turn around and face me, face me, because I got an exciting story to tell you. This is either, this is going to be great. This is going to be crazy here. Trying our first time with a family worship service here. Chris, you said I don't know if this has been your 50th time or your first time. We haven't even met 50 times, incidentally, so there you go. No, it hasn't been. Well, I mean, since last summer we're getting things started, but since Connections officially... That'll be in September. September 16th will be our year anniversary. Well, kids, we are excited to have you here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to actually I'm gonna just talk to your, your parents for a, for a second, your guardians, your grandparents. I'm going to give you all the insight you need right now to know what you're up against and what you're called to do as the parents and the guardians of, of these kids. So kids, I'm going to need your help to tell me a story. And I'm going to need your help to pick one of two parts. I can help, you can help me out. You can be the part of the good guy or you can be the part of the bad, bad, bad guy. Who wants to be the part of the bad guy? Who wants, the good guy, you do. Who wants to be the part of the bad guy? Raise your hands, the bad guy. Not even going to participate. Well, you are going to. Usually they like being the part of the bad guy. They get pretty excited about that. Well, you are going to help me with a part of the bad guy. Think you can handle that? Yeah, you're going to help me out with that. Okay, so our story is going to take place in Egypt. And Egypt, at the time when the story takes place was one of the most prosperous places in the world. They had huge pyramids towering above the skyline, and they had the River Nile running through it to feed its crops and the livestock, and it was a beautiful, beautiful land. And the people of God were in the land of Egypt. Do you think they were happy to be in the land of Egypt? No, they weren't happy to be in the land of Egypt because they were slaves. Do you know what a slave is? Kind of, maybe nobody, maybe some of you haven't heard about what a slave is. A slave is whenever you have to work all day, every day for no pay. Who here, whose parents make you work all day, every day for no pay? Is that any of you? Do your parents make you live like that? I hope not. Your parents do, Ray? I thought some of you would, you know, actually go in on that one. So... Every day, all day, they had to work. And you know what Pharaoh made the people of God do? He made them make bricks. So this is the first part where you need to help me. When I say the days of the week and I say Pharaoh said, you're going to say more bricks. Can you test that out for me right now? Can you say, can you say, because you're the bad guys, can you say more bricks? So on Monday, everybody woke up and Pharaoh said... There you go. Let's try that. On Tuesday, everybody woke up and Pharaoh said, That's right. On Wednesday, they woke up and Pharaoh said, You need to be a little more Pharaoh-like here. There you go. On, on Thursday, they woke up and Pharaoh said, On Friday, he said, On Saturday, do you think they got the day off? No, he said, Surely on Sunday he gave them the day off. 
No, on Sunday he said, Every day, all day, for no pay, more bricks. <sighs> so the people of God cried out, and God heard their cry. And he said, I will send you a deliverer, somebody to help set you free. So God called a man named Moses, and he was a godly man. He was a wise man. He was a wonderful man. He was a man who had the Lord's favor on him, and the Lord loved him. I'll play the part of Moses, okay? Well, God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But do you know what Pharaoh said every time he said, let my people go? Do you know what he said? He said, no, that's right. So every time I say, let my people go, you have to say, no. Let's try that one more time. Let my people go. No. That, oh. Well, God told Moses, things are going to get pretty bad before they get good. Pharaoh has a very, very stubborn heart. So I'm going to have to send some plagues on the land. Do you know how many plagues God sent? There were going to be 10 plagues and God was going to use them to show his power and to bring his people out of captivity and into the promised land. So Moses went to Pharaoh and he took his staff. I had talked about that staff the other week. And he waved it over the water. So I'm gonna, I got a little stick here that we're going to pretend is his staff. And he waved it over the water. And I got a little bottle here to pretend that it's water. And he waved it over and he struck the water. And ooh, look what happens whenever we shake that stick in that water. Oh, what's happening? Oh, it's starting to turn to blood. Oh, would you want to drink this water now? Ah, no. Can you imagine how much it stunk and the fish died and the people had nothing to drink because all the water turned to blood? And Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh said, no. Oh, so he said, okay. Then another plague. I'm going to have to send... Frogs. Frogs everywhere. Frogs all over the kids. Everywhere they went. Frogs were in their houses. Frogs were in their pants. Frogs were in their food. Frogs were in their beds. Everywhere they turned, there were frogs. The, the frogs are eating the children now. No, you... Yeah, yes, you may, you may, and we'll have some toys for everybody, we'll have some toys for everyone, and we do share if we got two, and we got to move on with the story, friends, Moses said, after all the frogs came, let my people go, and Moses said, and Pharaoh said, hey guys, Ray, have a seat, have a seat, we all, yeah, there should, yeah, we'll have some gifts for everybody. We'll have some gifts for everyone. We will, hey, yep, yeah, so we're going to share. We're going to share. We'll have gifts for everyone. Don't worry. So the next, guys, 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 guys. So 
Moses stood up to Pharaoh and he took that same stick and he wove it over the ground and it said that the dust became like gnats. Everywhere they went, there were gnats. Now, some of the translations say that it was like lice in people's hair. So who wants lice in their hair? Nobody wants, it's just rice. It's not actual lice. You want, so there is lice everywhere. Who wants lice? Who wants lice? No, nobody else wants lice. No, you want lice. Oh, lice in your hair. Who wants lice? No, nobody else wants lice. The frog does. Lice everywhere. Lice everywhere. Oh, man, Kristen's going to love me today when she comes check things out. And then Moses said, let my people go. But Pharaoh said, So he went again and he waved his stick over the land and it said flies were everywhere. And don't worry, parents, this has been disinfected. Flies were everywhere. And everywhere people went, there were flies all over them. Flies everywhere, getting them everywhere they would go. Flies, flies, flies. And Moses said, let my people go. But Pharaoh said, that's right. And then five, he said, we are going to, sorry, but all of your livestock is going to die. And so, well... I had a cattle prod. I forgot it this morning. I think you're going to get off the hook. So okay. we'll, just, we'll just let this one go because I forgot to bring my cattle prod. But then there was plague number six. And he took that stick and he waved it. No, he actually reached into a kiln and he grabbed some dust and he threw it into the air. And no, he threw it into the air. And then it landed on people and... They got boils. Do you know what boils are? Boils are like sores on your skin. So I've got some stickers here. We're going to pretend that these... You have boils? You you get a boil. And who wants a boil? All right. You get a boil. You want one on your head? You get a boil. And you get a boil. Who else wants a boil? You get a boil. And you get a boil. And you, you get a boil. Boils everywhere. Boils everywhere. You get a boil. Everybody gets boils. And then Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. no. And then it was, oh. And then he went to, to Pharaoh again. And she, you saw them, didn't you? You looked in there. And it said that hail came raining down on everybody. Hail was hitting everybody. Hail out of the sky, bruising people. Hail everywhere. Hail, any place people went was hail. Hail everywhere. Hail. All right, every, everybody wants to eat hail. Yes, you get some hail. Everybody gets hail. All right, you get hail. You get, you get another hail. Lots of hail. That's enough. That's enough hail for now. And then, and then Moses said, let my people go. But Pharaoh said, no. So the next plague, he waved his stick and it said, locust came from the sky. It said they were like a swarm that darkened the sky. So can we get some, yeah, like a swarm. Get the hazers going. They came in like a swarm and covered the land. They were thick like a smog over everything. And Moses said, let my people go. But Pharaoh said, no. And then finally, one more plague that we're going to talk about today. 
He waved that stick and the sun went out. Can we have all the lights out? Darkness covered the land. It was, who turned out the light? God turned out the lights. And Moses said to Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh said, okay, let's, let's, a little more enthusiasm for this one. Let my people go. No. No. Well, kids, there was one more plague. We don't have time to talk about that plague today. But what we need to know is that God, throughout all of that time, you can have a seat for, okay, we'll pull that off. Oh, it's, it's somebody stuck that. We're going to have your parents help you with that one in a second. So <laughs> you can have a seat right there, sweetie. So, kids. Kids, kids, kids. God was protecting his people all of that time. Just like God protects us and has sent us our deliverer, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so will you join me for a prayer before you get dismissed to go to your classrooms? And we're going to pray to Jesus, our deliverer, okay? Well, yeah, that got, yeah. I didn't do that, by the way, parents, so somebody else did that. So let's, hey kids, let's take our wiggly hands. Let's take our wiggly hands and pull them together, kids, and we'll bow our heads and close our eyes, and will you pray after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life, and being with me always and forever. Amen. Well, kids, that was fun for me. You guys can take off now and go to your classrooms. We do have some stickers that got stuck on some skin there, it looks like. So have fun with that, teachers. I claim no responsibility for that one there. So, and we are go- And now we have stickers on the floor here. This is going to be fun. There we go. Hey, guys, ready to head off to your classroom? Thank you, sweetie. Head off to your classroom. Oh, mom's over here. Yeah, mom's going to, we'll get some goo gone on that one. (laughs) There's an adage in showbiz, I'm told, never to work with kids or dogs. And now I'm reminded why. Well, in God's providence, the timing of this just worked out, that we've come upon the story, in the story of Exodus, the season of the plagues. And that's a great story to tell to kids, so we couldn't resist the, the, the opportunity on our family worship weekend to invite the kids up, which we thought would be a great and creative way for us to remember what all happened in God's plan of deliverance for his people It's exciting, it's dramatic, it can be funny in the context of teaching it to kids. But what does it mean for us? So let's settle ourselves down now for a moment, now that the kids are gone, and we'll put on our grown-up thinking caps here. And we need to ask the question, though, at a deeper level, not just the drama, not just the, uh, you know, uh, of this incredible season of God's work, but what does it mean for us? as followers of Jesus Christ. 
Let me point you to where we're going to go now in the next couple minutes that we have together, and then we're going to build back up to it. The story of the Exodus themselves, of these plagues, point us towards our longing for justice, our need for mercy, but the wonderful gift of God's grace. We have a deep longing for justice anytime we see injustice, oppression, unrighteousness, evil unchecked in the world. We long to see justice exercised. When justice comes towards us, we cry out for mercy. We recognize our wrong. We recognize the error of our ways. And we beg for, cry out for mercy. But what we have in Jesus Christ is so much more. What we have in Jesus Christ is grace, which goes beyond. Let's step back for just a few moments to chapter 5 and the words of Pharaoh that set off the plagues themselves. In chapter 5, when Moses first comes to Pharaoh with the declaration to let my people go, before the plagues begin... He tells this, Moses calls out, let my people go. And this is the response. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go. And we went into great detail on this. So that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. The point of the Exodus was for the worship, the glory of God that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? Well, this statement of Pharaoh perhaps echoes the statement of many people in our world, in our culture, in our context today. Who is this God? Who is this God that the church talks about? Who is this God that Christians proclaim? Who is this God that I should obey him, that I should honor him, that I should worship him, that I should serve him, that I should give to him, that I should lay down my life before him? Who is this God that you profess that I should obey him and serve him? Well, perhaps many of us here, I would guess most of us here, probably grew up in the church. And so that question was answered for us. And perhaps we readily accepted that answer and have spent a life living into the answer. The Lord is God and He is glorious and He is good. And He has made Himself known throughout these works and these stories that read about in the Old Testament. And now God has come to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. God loves us so much that He's come to us and become one with us. And He has become the atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we might be redeemed and live forever as the people of God. Jesus is good. Jesus is with me ever and always. Jesus has promised his return. Jesus has sent his spirit to abide in us. The spirit gives us fruit and builds his gifts that we may serve one another and we may serve the world. God is good, amen? And we honor and worship him. And so we say, who is God? And we know God is known through Jesus Christ. But of course, not everybody grows up in the church. Not everybody as a kid comes up on stage here and gets told these stories about how good God is. And so many have simply gone towards culture to see what it says about God. 
And so in the buffet of culture, we just pick and we choose what we want to take and pull to create a God, kind of a, a Frankenstein God, we might call him. We like, we like what we hear over here about this God who maybe gives us anything that we ask, or, or this God over here that if we say the right prayers and just sort of insert the right devotion, we, we get like a vending machine, anything that we want ever, <laughs> just calling upon God in this, this manner. Maybe we, we like this aspect of, of God over here, and so we just start pulling and choosing, and if anything then begins to ruffle us or push against us on what we want, we just like Frankenstein take those parts out and begin to mix and mingle and put together the God of our own creation. The Old Testament talks a lot about this, and it always calls it idolatry. When you fashion or form your own God, you're simply making an idol. The thing about making idols is we tend to make them in our own image and to reflect our own wants or desires. And this says nothing about a God who has something to say about how we should live to honor Him and how we should live as good neighbors to one another. And maybe in the middle there are people that have lost their way. Maybe they were raised in a church, but they had a very negative experience of church. Jesus, I love, says, you know, he's, he came full of grace and full of truth. And at different times and at different seasons, churches can sign, kind of fall to one side or the other. Maybe somebody went to a church that was all grace, anything goes, there is no ethic, there is no moral, there is no higher way to live, and so there is no really compelling mission or vision to live out. Maybe a church goes the farther direction of all truth all the time, no grace. you got to get everything right all the time, and it becomes oppressive like a rod beating us down. We're never good enough. And so maybe in the midst of this, we just sort of lose our way, and we begin to ask, who is this God anyways that we should obey him? Well, Pharaoh asked that question. But I believe it's kind of a red herring. <laughs> Who is this God? He claims to have no knowledge of God. And yet this coming from the one who claims to be himself a son of God. The Pharaoh was always the living representation, the embodiment of the sun god, Ray or Ra, depending on the pronunciation. So more than anybody else, he was to know something about God. So for Pharaoh to come in and to say, who is this God that I should obey him to claim no knowledge is to deny his own divinity at one level. But it serves his purpose to deny a knowledge of and obedience toward any true and living and eternal God. And so with that statement, who is this God that I should honor and obey? Who is this God that you profess that I should let his people go? So begins the progressive series of plagues that will come upon the land. Before we get into the plagues, let us understand though that Pharaoh is warned. He is warned he is warned by Moses and Aaron. He is warned by God. He is given the opportunity to back off. And yet it says that his heart was hardened. He is lying. He is professing no knowledge of God. This one who claims to be a very son of God. And he is going to be judged now. The plagues are justice. The plagues are justice. The plagues are also progressive. 
They will mediate and dispense justice in a progressive series of steps. And in each and every turn of the plagues, there's the opportunity given to back off, to relent, to honor and to obey God, and to go along with his wishes and with his plans. They are judgment, they are progressive, but then the plagues as we move through them, they become more and more revealing. They reveal an aspect of who God is. They reveal an aspect of the false gods that lord over Egypt. They reveal an aspect of the justice that is coming, the mercy that will be offered, and ultimately then the grace that will be given. And the plagues begin with the Nile turning to blood. Let's pick up there and read through this part of the text, and then we're going to break down each one of the plagues, mind you, briefly. The plagues formally begin with the Nile turning to blood. So we pick up in 7, we're going to do 7 verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says, By this you will know that I am the Lord. With a staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. When God turns the Nile to blood, let us remember now, with the first of these plagues, that this isn't the first time that the waters have been bloodied. For a generation earlier, the edict went out from Pharaoh to take all of the Hebrew baby boys and to throw them as a sacrifice into the waters of the Nile. It may seem harsh to issue this judgment over the land that affected all of God's people and all of the people in the land of Egypt. And yet, let us remember again that this is judgment, this is progressive, and this is revealing. This is not the first time the waters of the Nile have been turned to blood. For again, a generation before, they were bloodied with the very bodies. Sorry, I know, it's grotesque, it's awful. That's why we long for justice in this case. Because all of the Hebrew baby boys were tossed in as a sacrifice. Then, the frogs. Moses and Aaron, they stretch out the staff again. Frogs come up out of the Nile. What does this mean? What possibly could this reveal? How could this be justice? Frogs, as curious, as odd as it may sound to us, were a representation of fertility and some of the fertility goddesses because of their incredible capacity, of course, to reproduce. But what we know now that is being revealed in this plague is that the people of God are being blessed in their very fulfillment of the creation mandate to be fruitful and multiply. Despite Pharaoh's attempt to eradicate the people, the people were honoring God and God was honoring them with the fulfillment of being fruitful and multiplying. The frogs become the statement of justice and indictment onto a nation that sought to squash out the people of God. Until, of course, the frogs began to die and stank and were piled up and said, oh, it would have been horrible. And then come plagues three and four, the gnats and the flies. Well, let me ask you this. It doesn't take too much deep thought. 
What attracts gnats and flies, insects and creepies and crawlies? Always the stench of death. The stench of death was already over the land of Egypt, who were literally working the Hebrews to death. Death begets death, and so the judgment comes on the people. If you create a culture of death, you will invite the swarms of insects that come and feast on the death that you have perpetuated and created. Again, a progressive statement of justice revealing what God is doing and how he's going to bring his people out. Then comes the plague on the livestock, the beasts of burden. Who has been treated like a beast of burden for all these generations? The Hebrew people, the people of God. They have been the ones who've borne the rod of Pharaoh, the staff of oppression that has beat them literally to death. The beasts of burden making bricks day after day, week after week, year after year, without any pause or break or worship of God. And then they reach Moses reaches into one of the kilns and takes the soot, the soot that would have been created from firing the bricks that Pharaoh made them make. And this becomes the dust of the air and it settles on the people and becomes boils that break out over all of the Egyptians, reaching into the very fires, these kilns that were flaming into these bricks again, built on the oppression of the Hebrew people. It becomes the judgment on the people as the boils then break out. And then he waves the rod again and the hail starts to fall from the ground, beating down on the sores of the people just as they have been beaten over and over again and again for generation after generation now with this rod of oppression. Then plague eight, the locusts come. The locusts have long been a sign of judgment. The locusts that come in and indiscriminately eat away at the prosperity, the crops of the land that were somehow survived after all of the hailstorm, their prosperity grew again on the oppression of slavery. The backs of the Hebrews, the locusts come in to take their due course and to destroy what has been built up by injustice. Finally then, what we're going to talk about today Darkness comes over the land. Let me pause on this one and go a little bit deeper before we bring this to its conclusion. And we won't get into the 10th plague. We'll save that as we move into July. What then is this plague of darkness? After the extreme pain and suffering that the others have brought, somehow this seems like it might be a kind of relief. But this reveals to us perhaps the deepest meaning of God's justice and progressive liberation of his people throughout the land. For, has been, as has already been mentioned, Pharaoh is understood to be the very incarnation of the sun god, Ray or Ra, depending on the pronunciation. People supposed that Pharaoh is the one who waved his rod and the sun would rise, the sun would set, the sun would come week in and week out, season in and season out. They knew that the sun brought the crops and the crops brought life and they were dependent upon the fruit of the land and it was all to be in the hands of Pharaoh and yet for God to come in and blot out the sun and create a darkness, a thick darkness that was felt, it says, that, that, that the lights and the lanterns couldn't even penetrate was to say, Pharaoh, you are not the one who causes the sun to rise and to set and to turn in its season. The God of the Hebrews, this is the God who controls all of his own 
creation. Each and every one of these mediate a progressive movement of justice and revelation for God's liberation of his people. Throughout this time, we know that God's people have been protected. The first three plagues affect everybody. They affect Hebrews and Egyptians alike. And as the old expression actually goes, how does it go? The, the third time is the charm, right? Third time is the charm. After the first plague, Pharaoh and his court, we will not let the people go. The second plague, we will not let the people go. At the third plague, the gnats that come upon the land, this is when Pharaoh's court says, surely this is the hand of God. They are ready to relent. They are ready to obey. They are ready to set free the people held in captivity for over 400 years now. Pharaoh's heart only becomes hardened. Until at the end of chapter 10 and the end of this ninth plague, and then Pharaoh goes a step further. When the sun is blotted out, and Moses and Aaron come before him, and they call for him to let the people go that they might worship God, and the parameters are put on the worship of God, that all of the people and the livestock and their possessions must be set free to go. Pharaoh says, get out of my sight. You will never see my face again. Should you see my face again, it will be the day that you die. And Moses, ever being throughout this whole course of the plagues, being a humble and obedient man, says, you will never see my face again, Pharaoh, but it doesn't signify the end of Moses' story. It becomes the beginning of the end of Pharaoh's story, as he will be swept up into the final plague that we will get into in July and his demise. But again, what does all of this mean for us? Let me step back into Pharaoh's statement that begins this series of plagues. Who is God that I should obey him and let his people go? For those of you that, who are asking still, perhaps, who have been on a journey, who've been on a search, on a questioning promise, who is God that I should honor and obey him? I would simply point you to Jesus. For Jesus is how we now know God. And we know that God has come to us as the baby born at Christmas, as the Savior crucified on the cross, as the risen and reigning Lord who will return someday, we turn to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. If you want to know who God is, get to know who Jesus is. Get into his life. Get into his story. Get into his word. Get into conversations with other people who know and profess a faith and a life in Jesus Christ that is transformed their lives. If you want to get to know God, get to know Jesus, for Jesus is the incarnation and the living revelation of God to us. And so get to know him, and you will know the true character of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I would invite you to ask me about it. There's nothing I love more, <laughs> as my kids often point out to me, how many times you get together for coffee a week with somebody. There's nothing I love more than to get together and to tell people, not about my life, about how my life has been changed forever through Jesus Christ in me. For the rest of us, 
that are maybe on that journey, who've made that step, who are getting to know God through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, what do these plagues then mean for us and how we live out a life as a follower of Christ? The plagues point us to, just as Jesus points us to, the justice, the mercy, and the grace of God. That children's sermon ate up some time, so let me just touch upon these briefly, briefly before we pray and move into a closing song and towards our cookout. We are justice-craving creatures. We are justice-craving creatures. When we see oppression, when we see wrong, when we see evil running amok in the world, we cry out for, we long for justice. Won't somebody do something about it? Can't somebody fix this problem? Will this go unchecked? We cry out for justice, and justice requires judgment, and judgment is a dirty word in today's world. And yet, I'll, I'll have to skip over this part now. I'll go deeper into this in another sermon. And yet, we love and long for justice. Just turn on the TV in the last 20 years. Law and order. Law and order SUV. CIS. NCIS. I, I, I mean, is there not a show? Every show is based upon, here's the evidence, and here's the judgment. We long for righteous judgment to be dispensed. And what God has done in the plagues is simply given justice. We long for justice when the standard is not measured up to. And yet, whenever the standard of justice doesn't measure up in our lives, when we say it is wrong to lie, and yet we tell a lie, when we say it is wrong to cheat, and yet we recognize that we've cheated, when we recognize it's wrong to steal, and yet we know that we've stolen, we know it's wrong to kill, and yet in areas of life, perhaps literal or metaphorical, we have created or perpetuated a culture of death and oppression, we cry out for mercy. And God is always there to extend mercy. The prayer I know that God always answers, the prayer I know that God always answers when it comes from a sincere and humble heart is, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord. He is quick to forgive when we ask. We long for justice when we see injustice in the world, we beg for mercy when justice is going to come towards us. But not only do we get mercy through Jesus Christ, we get more, we get grace. Amen, friends? We get grace. We get even more. We get more than we ever lost. We get grace through Jesus Christ. We get the fruit of His Spirit. We get the gifts of His life in us. We get the promise of eternity now and forever through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I wish I had time to still go deeper into that, but with that, I must invite the band to come forward to lead us out in a song of worship so that we can celebrate this God who dispenses justice, who offers us mercy, but gives us ever more and even more than we knew to long for ask. He gives us the grace that comes through His, our, His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace to abide with us ever and always. Grace to fill us with all we stand in need of for all he calls us to do. Grace through the valleys of life. Grace on the mountain highs of life. Grace that goes ahead of us, guiding and directing our steps. Let us pray and let us celebrate this God. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time of worship that we've had today. And I just want to pause long enough in this prayer 
to pull together. And we've, we've, boy, we've covered a lot with the kids' sermon and ten plagues and pointing towards Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. But Lord, we, we bring this together and use as a springboard just that, that comment by Pharaoh. Who, who is God? I should honor him. God, I thank you that you've shown yourself to us through Jesus Christ. And more and more when we have questions about you and your work in the world and to understand you and what it means to obey you, I pray that we just keep turning back ever and always to Jesus, to his life, to his ministry, to his words, to our faith in him. Thank you for sending us Jesus, our Savior and Lord, so that we might know you and we might obey you. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you guide us as Christ's followers now into this world where we long for justice, we beg for mercy, but we depend on grace. Let us be a people of justice. Let us seek justice. Let us work for justice. Let us pray for justice. Let us lift up justice in a world where still so many lives are wrecked with and are wrought with oppression and injustice. Let us be a people of justice, working and praying for it in your world. Lord, for all of us, we ask for mercy. We ask forgiveness whenever we have not lived up to the measure, to the standard. We ask for and we are so thankful for the mercy extended to us in Jesus Christ who paid the price on the cross for all of our sins and the sins of the world. And Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you for grace that gives us more than we ever lost. Grace that abides in us and grace that goes ahead of us. Thank you for your amazing grace that covers our lives and your creation. Oh, were it not for grace, what state would we be in and what state would your creation be in? Lord, thank you for the goodness and the greatness of your grace. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.